So we are going to start off by reading our gospel, and I have asked the wonderful Dele to, to do the reading this morning. And um, because he's just so full of joy, isn't he? And he's going to pop up on the screen in just a moment. And a few, like about 10 minutes ago, everyone in the room was saying, Dele's not there, Anna. He hasn't turned up. Um, but alas, he has, I'm sure. The, the, zoom, the zoom has actually just crashed. Oh, the zoom has crashed. Oh, this is so awkward. <laughs> um, but I'm going to keep talking about Delhi. He's grown a beard. He's wearing glasses this morning. Um, he is there. He's back. He's back. Uh, and oh, this is, this is why you don't trust technology, isn't it? It's just an awkward Easter, awkward Easter Sunday morning. It's, it's going to be really worth it. Anyway, do you know what I'll tell you while we're waiting for Delhi to come up? What I want you to do as he's reading the story to you this morning is I want you to, and bear with me with this, I want you to imagine that you are the angel. Okay, so I, because sometimes when we read a story, if it's familiar to, to us, some of you, it won't be a familiar story to you, but for, for many of you, it will be familiar. And sometimes it just helps just to think about it from a different angle. Um, and I'm really trying to like <laughs> stall. Story, we're here. There's thumbs up in the room. Yay! And there he is! Yay! <laughs> You're so hey, worth the wait. I heard you were trying to stall for me. I was really stalling. They're all going to imagine that um, they're, they're the angel in the story. That's how they're going to hear the, the reading. Are you right? Happy Easter. Happy Easter, Star. Happy Easter, Happy Easter people. 28.1 um, um, to verse 10, right? That's right. Wavy, wavy, wavy. All right. <laughs> Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the, came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back on a stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Thank you so much, Jelly. It was worth the wait. Um, so I don't know if you've um, ever read the, that story from the, the perspective of the angel before. I'm going to actually, I'm hoping that Dele's just going to stay up there um, as I talk, because he can just, I can watch his reactions as, um, as, I, as I speak. So every time I laugh, if he could laugh, that would be wonderful. So in fact, can we just leave Dele on the screen? Because he was, it was worth the wait so much that um, they're going to put him back up in a minute. So you're just going to be up there. You've got to stay focused, Dele, um, because the people will be watching. Um, but I don't know if you've ever read the, the gospel from the version of the angel before, but there's two things I noticed. First of all, he sat on the stone. 
Like when he comes to tell the news, he decides to sit on the stone that he's just rolled away. And I think he just kind of gets, the angel gets the tone right, doesn't he? He could have like nonchalantly kind of stood um, in the center of the, the entrance of the tomb. He could have come down like a wind of fire and looked up. But no, he chooses, I've rolled away the stone, I'm now gonna sit on it. And that's where I'm gonna tell the story. But the other thing I notice is that, um, is that is the joy that he carries when I think about like this angel? I think I'd get on with this angel because it's, he's kind of got his playfulness. He's sat down the stone and he's watching these women come towards him. He's watching them come. They're walking in to the garden, expecting it to be a grave, and he's excited. Can you imagine? He'd just be quivering with excitement that he gets to tell these weeping people that he's actually alive. That he's going to be the one to share the message of joy with them. That their weeping and their grief is going to be turned into joy. And it's just this incredible assignment that this angel is given. He gets to tell the story that everything has changed, that Jesus is alive. This really is the greatest story that has ever been told. It has everything in it. Like even just the last few days, what I've loved doing, let's just, just note that, can we just go to the screen? He is sat, he is there, he's just watching and I love it. Just keep, keep saying that, keep engaged in it. You can't be falling asleep on me. Um, it really is the greatest story ever told because there's, there's so much in it. There's on the Friday, we have the death, the disappointment, the betrayal, the injustice, the greed, the envy, the hate that exists. This story doesn't downplay any of that stuff. It doesn't pretend that none of that stuff exists exists but it also says that that stuff doesn't have the last word it doesn't have the victory that Jesus does this is a story of hope and in a year where those things the injustice the greed the envy the hate the bitterness has and the death has threatened to overwhelm us this morning this is why our story is so important because it's one of hope it's one of hope joy and love and I pray that as we remind ourselves of the victory of Jesus this morning because that's what we're focusing on the victory of Jesus over sin and death, that those things begin to stir in us like the women this morning, that hope and joy will begin to stir, not in a superficial way, not in a way that says you have to have a positive mindset. Think positive because that's empty. That's not enough. It's not going to be good enough. Or with any sense of denial that the things that you're grieving this morning don't exist, that they aren't real, but that the, in the midst of all that stuff, that God would bring resurrection into us. Because this isn't just a story. This isn't just a fictional narrative. That wouldn't be an anchor strong enough to hold us through yeah. storms. A myth, however nice, just doesn't cut it. This is a historical reality. Yeah. That to be a Christian is to say that God entered time and space. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. He was brutally and unjustly killed, but he defeated death and he yeah. rose again. Yeah. And no credible historian will argue that Jesus didn't exist and that he died. The broad and deep consensus amongst scholars, regardless of their religious beliefs, is that there was a man named Jesus. And even if you ignore the New Testament and all the literature there, there's non-Christian texts text that talk about this man. The, histor the historian, the Jewish historian um, Josephus in the uh, 40 AD, he talked about the rabbi Jesus. He writes about him. No one questions his existence. There's more evidence for the existence of Jesus than there is Julius Caesar. But the hinge point is the resurrection. This is the bit that, that gets people. This is the bit that changes it. 
And even if you ignored the 500 people that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians of having witnessed the risen Jesus all in one go, even if you just look at the closest disciples and their account of Jesus, you have to conclude that either it's true, either they had a mass hallucination or that they're liars. And seeing as mass hallucinations don't actually exist, we have to either conclude that they're liars or it's true. But unlike any other movement with executed leaders, once this group come back together, they didn't replace Jesus with family members. Their resistance was entirely nonviolent and devoid of political power. Yet they were all suddenly willing to say that they're willing to die for what they saw. All apart from John, who died in prison, all of them were killed because they refused to recount that Jesus was alive. And this message spread with unreasonable success yeah. through, the early, um, through the world. During the first few centuries, it, said it spread without political or military power and prevailing against ruthless efforts which were dedicated, organized and violent opposition towards them. The witness of this small band of disempowered Jews in an occupied and insignificant territory in ancient Rome spread like wildfire, one person after another encountering the risen of Jesus. People like Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who had been seeking to arrest and kill Christians, totally transformed, person after person, generation after generation, passing on their witness that he alive and you can go away and you can read the historical evidence of the resurrection but more than that as Christians we believe that we can encounter him today that we can witness it today because he's still alive to be a Christian is to be a witness to the resurrection to say that Jesus Christ is alive it's not to say that Jesus has won some kind of religious popularity contest for me it's not that I've done a BuzzFeed quiz and me and Jesus were the most compatible <laughs> Lots of people read the teachings of Jesus, they like him, admire his values, but they're not Christians. Because yeah. quite frankly, Jesus wasn't about popularity. He didn't canvas for votes. He didn't seek to win people over. Quite the opposite at times, he was incredibly offensive. And if you don't think he's offensive, they go and read the gospels properly. No one could tame him however much they tried, he's loving it. <laughs> however much they tried over the centuries, and boy, have we tried to tame him. <laughs> But it's offensive, it's deeply offensive to our culture, isn't it? To say this absolute statement that we say on this day that Jesus is the son of God and that he died and rose again. It's offensive because it's not my truth. In fact, it has very little to do with me at all. It is the truth that we witness to. Yeah. That it happened in time and space, that it's a historical event, not a myth, that a dead man rose from the grave and the tomb was and still is empty. And this is more, and that means that there is someone who is more powerful and victorious than even than death itself. And it is offensive to say that in our culture as an absolute statement. And honestly, I'm not one of those people who wants to be deliberately offensive, but this is the one thing I will say I'm willing to offend for, because we have to say that this is an absolute truth that we build yeah. our lives upon. And plenty of people were offended by the early church. It's why they were persecuted. But unlike us in the West, they actually kind of expected the persecution because they had watched Jesus unjustly killed, but then they saw him exalted and he sits in glory. Jesus was despised and then he was exalted. So they expected that like Jesus, they too would be rejected for their beliefs. But they also believed that if they shared with his sufferings, they would also share in his glory. And I've been thinking about persecution and um, life after death as I've been writing this talk. I'm a fun person, I'm a fun gal to hang around with. Please invite me to your garden. 
I'm a joy to hang out with. And the Western church is quite funny when it comes to this thing of life after death. We kind of sit in two ends of the spectrum. I'm probably oversimplifying it a bit here. But on one end, we don't actually talk about death, life after death that much. Probably because, and let's be honest, we're not persecuted and we're quite like this life. We're quite attached to the things that we have here, the status, the comfort, the power, and we're quite fond of that. Therefore, we walk around kind of just pretending that we're immortal, pretending and not thinking about death itself. And I probably most spend most of my time in that camp. But this year has confronted us to yeah. face death. Death is a reality. But do you know what? Our story deals with death. It confronts the reality of death, but we're still uncomfortable talking about it. And on the other end, that sometimes we're always talking about life after death, almost as if we're going to escape this life. And therefore, what we do in this world and what we do to this world doesn't really matter. And therefore, we can treat it however we want, which is kind of a weird narrative because it ignores the beginning and end of the Bible. It ignores the beginning where the God says, I'm putting you on earth to look after it as I would look after it. And it ignores the end where it says, I'm coming back down and I'm going to restore all things on earth and I'm going to flush out the living hell that you've created. Sin is a reality. And again, we're uncomfortable talking of it, but, but thankfully our story deals with it. Our story deals with sin and death. The cross and the resurrection deal with sin and death. That's our message. That's why we need to be comfortable talking about it. It can't be embarrassed about it. And the early Christians were obsessed with what they thought of as they called Christus Victus, that Christ was victorious over sin and death. And the reason they said that he was victorious over sin and death is because he faced them head on. Sin was what took him to the cross. It was sin that put him there. The forces of evil, the forces of sin conspired to kill him. It was the sin of the religious leaders. It was the sin of the Romans. It was even the sin of the disciples. But more than that, it was the shatat that um, plagues every single human heart. And you're probably thinking, what is shatatana? No, it's not a Jewish swear word. It was the fir- it, it's a Jewish word that we first see in Genesis chapter 4 and it's a force that we see at work in our world it's the black hole that seeks to destroy life and love it undermines justice and seeks to oppress it separates us from God it separates us from life it drives a wedge between um, each other and Shatat is insidious it wants to devour its host and it wants to devour through and we would have all felt the effects of it externally and internally. We see it and we feel it around us. We feel the brokenness around us and we see the brokenness inside. And as soon as Jesus entered the world, it was inevitable that he would collide with this force because he is everything that Shatat is against. He is for love and mercy and justice and life. And therefore it was inevitable that they would collide. You see it from his birth. A jealous king wants to snuff him out. You see the storm clouds gather around Jesus because he starts poking the beast by forgiving, by healing, by restoring dignity. Shatat is sin and death. And humanity is trapped by sin and death. And there's no way to push it back by our own strength. We don't have the resources. We don't have the power. We are captive to it. So why did he take on sin and death? Why didn't he just leave us? Why did he go to the cross and face it? Because of love. 
and what an insane love it is. What an insane and radical love that he would die for his enemies, for the very people that put him up there. That he would die for those who had set themselves against him. That he would die for humanity when we were unworthy and when we have nothing to recommend us. That is love. That is what real love looks like. It was demonstrated as he was spat at, humiliated, beaten and unjustly killed. That is love and our Hollywood concept of love looks cheap in the face of it. Yeah. And at the cross, Jesus faces the full force of sin and death. And on Good Friday, it looked like it had won. It looked like he was defeated. But then in the tomb, his buried dead body began to breathe and he was alive. And that is what Easter is about. It's the victory over sin and death, that he crushes sin and death. What overwhelms us does not overwhelm him, that he is, a, that he is more powerful than these forces, that he can push them back, that he is victorious, that he has passed through the boundary of life and death, and he comes back to show us that it's not the end. And I heard a story this week about a Catholic priest from Burundi, from Burundi called Father Zachary Bakuru who was principal of a school in, during, in Burundi during the Civil War. And when he saw the divisions in his nations, the division that was happening between the different um, ethnic groups, and the hate that was building, he decided he needed to do something. So he started teaching the kids in his school about forgiveness, the forgiveness that Jesus had for them and how they could extend it to one another. So they came together, they ate together, they listened to each other's differences and something amazing happened. As they received the forgiveness of Jesus, they began to forgive one another. And Father Zachary talks about the change in them, this deep love replaced the hate that they saw around them. And during this division of this country, this community was established beyond ethnic boundaries and it was a community centered around the person of Jesus. But on the 30th of April, 1977, a group of armed rebels came into that school and attacked it. And as the rebels entered, they ordered the young men, the young boys, to separate by ethnicity so that they could kill the group considered to be their enemies. But the students refused to separate. They linked arms and they said, we are brothers and we are all sons of God. And after three futile attempts to separate them, the rebels opened fire on all the students, killing 40 and wounding others. They were so convinced that Jesus was alive, that he had bonded them together in a love, that they, in the face of death, they refused to be separated. And in one of the interviews I listened to, Father Zachary talks about the horror and the guilt of their deaths, that he survived and, he, they, and they didn't, that he had to tell the parents who had entrusted their children to him that they were dead. It's a situation seemingly without hope devastating loss of life. Surely sin and death won that day, right? End of story. But in the interview, he tells how the example of these boys spread throughout the nation and beyond, that post the Civil War, people heard about these boys forgiving one another and establishing a new type of community, overcoming their differences and being bonded in the love of Jesus, that they began to believe that healing was possible for them too. And those boys who took the call to love as Jesus had loved, which was costly love, as they began to take that seriously and do the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation, these boys became their example. And Father Zachary and the parents and the community around that school chose the incredibly courageous thing and chose to forgive the men that had shot their sons. And at the point of that decision, they point to that decision as the reason that their community began to heal. 
They talked about that they wouldn't have been able to carry on had they not chosen to forgive. And Father Zachary is convinced that God did not shoot those boys, but when the enemy tried to snuff out the hope that they represented, all it did was multiply it across wow. a nation. And in one interview, he says, do you actually believe that life can come from death? And he says, yeah, I believe true life can come from death. And they found that resurrection of life was available for them when they took up their cross, received forgiveness, forgave their enemies, that only then could they be reconciled to heal, to find joy, to find hope, and to love freely. And it all began by receiving the forgiveness of Jesus and then rippling it, rippling out. And if the resurrection didn't happen, there's no way this community could have chosen that path. Because if the resurrection didn't happen, there's no there's no hope beyond brutality and death. There is no hope of forgiveness. But it is possible if Jesus is victorious over sin and death. If Jesus is alive, that changes everything because that means that death is not the end, that forgiveness is possible, that suffering will come to an end, that difference does not need to divide us, that injustice will be judged, that healing will come and tears will be wiped away. And that excited angel sat on the tomb, knew it. They knew that everything had changed. And at the center of this story is this man, Jesus, who was unjustly killed, now exalted, now glorified, now honored. The one who looked at his enemies and said, I forgive you, is the one who now sits on the throne. This is a story, not of a hero remembered, but of a hero resurrected, that he is present, that he is alive today and that he is here by his spirit. And he invites us to come to him daily, to take up our cross, to take up his revolution of forgiveness and loving our enemies. And he invites us to join him in pushing back sin and death. But first of all, we need to come face to face with it here. And remember that he died for us when we were his enemies. And if you, um, you don't know Jesus, if you didn't call yourself a Christian, you're watching this today and you're questioning, well, what is God's attitude, his posture towards me? Then I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that he loves you. And how can I say that without a shadow of a doubt? Because I look at the cross and I see that is what God's attitude towards his enemies is, that he loves you. It was because of the joy set before him that he endured the cross and that joy is you. And then Jesus is victorious over sin and death, which means he has the authority to forgive your sins, to wash you white as snow and to take off the things that entangle and trap you. And he says that there is a hope set before you, that death is not the end of the story. And as he does it, we become witnesses of the resurrection. We like the angel get to tell people that he is alive. And that resurrection power lives in us, not because we're strong, not because we're extra special, not because we're extra holy, but because we've let him save us. We've said, I can't do this on my own. Jesus, come and save me. Come and set me free from sin and death and come and make your home in me. That we've said, here's our lives. Here's our body, Jesus. Use us however you want. Come and live in me. Live your resurrection life through me. That's what the church is. When we call ourselves the body of Christ, that is what it is. It's a group of people saying, I've given my life to Jesus. He now lives his resurrected life through me. Yeah. And as a church, we've got to be confident in this story, confident in this victory over sin and death and tell it like the angel with mischievous joy. 
But maybe we're ashamed of this story. Maybe it feels actually like we feel foolish to say a dead man rose again. And maybe that's why we try and make Jesus more cool. We sell him and package him in a more palatable way. And that's probably why the Western church is devoid of power. Because a palatable and popular Jesus is not where the power is. It's in the cross and the resurrection. That is where the power is. That's our story. That's what we witness to. That Jesus has defeated sin and death and he's victorious over it. And he shares the spoils of his victory with us this morning.